<laughs> this is one of my favorite things of our church. Watching Mr. Josh Jones run behind me as I preach. Uh, if you were missed, there's greeters in the back who the hospitality team will, will get the offering in the right place. If you did not yet receive a palm branch, we got a couple left for you. Uh, there will be kids milling around. This is what we call a Legacy Sunday. Uh, and Legacy Sunday means that we are blessed with the kids learning alongside of us in the same space. Instead of blessing them into their own space, we're all together, which means that it's just more fun. And um, welcome. If it's your first time here, my name is, is Matt, and uh, I, hope, I hope we meet. And um, I hope you enjoy your, your time. Kids, keep coming and getting palm branches if anybody missed it. If your kid runs behind me, I promise I'm not offended. We're good. The microphone works nice and loud. Um, we're going to talk through the scriptures that they read so well. I'm not going to read them over because they read it well, but they made a gift for us. I don't know if you noticed, we're, we were probably very attentive to the cute children. Can you run the slideshow as we're talking about these verses? They drew pictures for us to be able to understand what we're talking about. And so learn through the pictures or have God open your heart through what we're saying here. But but this section, Matthew 21, it picks up uh, on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is, is what you have to go to get into Jerusalem. You've got to go over this mountain. And on the other side is the city that we hear of as Bethany. It's where, th thank you, sweetheart. I'm going to put it right up here. Beth Bethany is, is where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha live. Uh, it's where Jesus spends the, the Holy Week, the, the last week. He, he spends it in Bethany, which is on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And it's about two miles to get from there into Jerusalem, okay? And so that's where this begins to take place, is in Bethany, on the way up and over the Mount. And Jesus says, oh, go get me a colt that has never been ridden. That's what one of the other gospel writers says, is get, get me a little donkey, a little colt that has never been ridden before. Now, if you know me, I don't ride colts, donkeys, horses that have been ridden. And, and Jesus goes like super cowboy here. It's like, get me one that's never been ridden. And the reason, I mean, I'm smart enough. I've been to a farm. I've seen pictures of them. You, you don't want to be the one that breaks the horse or the donkey unless you know how to break a horse or a donkey, Right? But Jesus is like fulfilling a prophecy here. And he's like, hey, go get me. You're going to find over there. You're going to find a donkey and, and its colt and bring them to me. And then that colt that's never been ridden, I'm going to ride it. Because why not? And, and he hops on this colt and I almost picture like, hey, colt, you recognize my voice. I, I'm, I made you. And like, yeah, I'm safe here. Jesus isn't a threat to this young cult. And so he starts, in my understanding of, of Palm Sunday, I always think like how we travel. Like he flew into Jerusalem, and as he walked off the plane in the middle of the city, people had like a, a hundred feet, a hundred yards of laying palm branches. This is, this is two miles. Two miles. This is up a mountain, down a mountain, and into the city that people are laying palm branches. So from two miles away, he's in Bethany. These people are, they cannot probably afford to live in Jerusalem. 
they, their life is in Jerusalem, but they need to live outside of it. Remember, at this time, the, the Jews are, are a captive people, right? They're under Roman rule. And they're going to Jerusalem for this week to celebrate the Passover, which is when they were delivered, when they were liberated. They're remembering that God is the one who liberates, and they're living in captivity again, working up the courage to believe that God does it again. Work up the courage to believe that God is still in the business of freedom, that he's still in the business of liberation. And they see this man who they have heard of on a donkey, and they know that is our hope. And so they start taking off their, their cloaks and laying down palm branches. This is not something you do for even like your grandma that you really love. You, you don't do that for her. The, the last time that this had happened with, was with the Maccabees, if you know the story of the Maccabees. And that was the last time that coats and branches were laid down as someone came to bring freedom to their people. And they see Jesus on this colt that has never been ridden. And he's not making this big spectacle. There's not 5,000 horses with them. He's not drawing attention to himself. Somehow the Holy Spirit is. And they lay down their branches before him and they're yelling. Hosanna. What is Hosanna? Hosanna means save, I pray. Save, I pray. They're yelling that these people who need liberation, who are oppressed, who are without, are, are laying down the very only possessions that they have, laying down branches before this cult and saying, Save, I pray, to the son of David, which is Messiah talk. They're laying down all of this before Jesus, believing that he is their king. But if only they knew, right? If only they knew how much of a king he really was. That he wasn't a king who once brings liberation and the possibility of future captivity, but that he is the king of all kings. That he's the king who brings freedom that, that cannot never be bound again. If only they knew, I think they would have laid much more than just their branches and just their cloaks. Now you go over this mountain. I've never been here, but I, I, I talked to a friend who had been here, and you, you can go over the mountain, and when you get to the top of the mountain and start going down it, where the Garden of Gethsemane is, that's on the Mount of Olives, you start to go down, all of a sudden the city's there, and it's breathtaking. It, you know those moments, right, where you see a city skyline for the first time? I remember the first time my family was visiting Louisville. We, we didn't know we were moving here. We believed God was leading us to move somewhere, but we were on 65, headed south, weaving through Indiana, and we were kind of wondering, like, if there's anything down here. And we, we get around a corner, and there's a city. And I remember my wife and I just, like, leaned into each other, like, what is this? It's no longer Indiana. <laughs> there's freedom. I'm kidding, Indiana. We love you. 
But there was this, like, what is this? I remember the same thing. The first time, 71 North, going into Cincinnati. You, you go over that little hill. Cincinnati's the most beautiful place for, like, a mile. You're like, wow, <laughs> look at this city. The first time I brought my son to Chicago, we're coming from the north side, we're driving in, he sees a skyline. He's like, oh, there's Chicago. And like, oh, silly boy. We go under a couple tunnels, we swim through some fog, and there's the city, and he's like, this, this is it. You know those moments, right, where you get into a place where all of a sudden you go around a corner or over a hill, and there is the city, and that's when you're on the Mount of Olives, that's Jerusalem. And so he's on this cult, and people who are walking to the city are, are shouting from behind and from in front. People are wondering what all of this is. Branches are going down. He's on this cult. He comes over the edge, and all the people like, have this breathtaking moment. Again, this is God's city. And Luke records that in this moment, Jesus weeps. He weeps for the city. If they only knew what they could have. If they only knew what I came for. If they only knew the freedom available to them. If they only knew. And he goes, and at that point, it's a whole nother mile. So this, like, I don't know how fast a young colt donkey runs or walks, but this is two miles on a, on a colt donkey. This takes some minutes. You can hear this. I imagine being in Jerusalem, looking up at the Mount of Olives, you would see that commotion. You would hear that commotion. You would wonder what's coming. You know that people are coming that way, but it's not every day that, that branches and clothes are laid down before somebody. I imagine that this had to be a sight that you could not ignore. It reminded me of, of what cities saw yesterday, right? You could not ignore the people who were out saying that we matter, that lives matter. I saw photos from some of you who were out at marches. I saw photos from friends in other cities. You just couldn't deny that people were out for a reason. There's something going on. I imagine that coming down, this commotion coming down on this, on this first Palm Sunday. This city was different than any other Passover celebration all the way right into Jerusalem and this belief that maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's the one who will save. I was, I was born into a family who, who went to church. I was born into the church, born into the habits of being there every Sunday. And I wondered if God saved, but I was in a place that said that he does. And I was in a place that said that that, that knew the end of this story, right? But I imagine being in the middle of it. I imagine being on that Palm Sunday where people are like, we know that God did save, but does he still save? We know that he did back then, and we, we celebrate this Passover in present tense, believing that it's for us today, but like, does he still save? And then we know the story of Jesus and Palm Sunday and Easter, and and yes, he still saves, but I think some of us, in practical ways, we sit and, okay, he, he saves maybe for, like, heaven, but does he still free now? Does he still save now? Does he still stand on the side of the oppressed now? Does he still 
care for those who are in need now? Is, is that still who God is or has he changed? I think a lot of us ask that question. If you look at what we're looking for in our search engines and on Facebook and stuff, you know that we are still looking for a remedy for the aches of this world. Does he still save? And if we felt that freedom to know that, yes, he is still the source of healing. He is still the source of power. He is still the source of of freedom. How much would we lay down for him? Now, here's what gets me about this. We we know what this week is. We know he he stays in, in Bethany and comes into the city and he prays on the Mount of Olives. He's denied, he's crucified. And then this unbelievable victory of Jesus. We know how this whole week turns out. But I wonder, how did Jesus make it from that cult to the cross? Like he's in human flesh. How do you make it? Like some days I'm like, I don't know if I can make it at all. I'm just going to nap. And I've never like rode a cult nor been on a cross. How, how do you do that week? How do you do that? Right? Because if he can do that, I think I can do this week. I don't know what this week is yet, but I think I can do this week because the power that was made available to him is made available to me. The power that was made available to him is available to you. We're told that the power that raised him from the dead, the Holy Spirit, not only is available to you, but lives within you if you have faith in him. If he lives within you, I think we can do this, but how, how did he do it? And my, my challenge that I've had with Palm Sunday before is like, okay, how, how do we translate this into our lives? Because, I mean, we don't have like parades for us, right? It's not like I'm going to go home and be like, hey, find me a colt. Let's go. That's not a practical way to live out Palm Sunday. If I do that, you guys should like call somebody. Uh, just for the farm animal part, you need to call somebody. You know something's going on. What does this teach us about our faith? Well, there's this imagery in Hebrews. And don't, don't bring the verse up quite yet. We'll look at it in a second. But the verse begins with, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So at the time, there would be four races every year. A race for each Greek god. Jamel told us about a great race last week with, with the flame, that the flame never goes out. These, these are races set out for these four Greek gods where the God would be honored by the race. This is where the Olympics come from. And the stadium would be filled with people and it was believed that the gods watched from Mount Olympus and they looked down and they saw these runners run. And they would run this race. And so Paul, or the writer of Hebrews knows that the people know this imagery. So he takes it. This is something for us, guys. We see this in Paul's teachings. We see this in Peter's teachings. When there's something in the culture that God can speak to, let God speak to it. And he says, you know the imagery of the the race. Let me tell you, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. It is not the cloud that the Greeks think it is. It's a different cloud, but it's a cloud of witnesses. 
You know that beautiful imagery the culture loves? It comes from God, and God is watching. And the people before, listed in the chapter before in Hebrews, are the ones who went before us in faith, and they are watching this great cloud of witnesses for this race that you and I are to be there. They're cheering us on, urging us to victory. This verse ends with, let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us. There is a start that was determined. God has it, had his hand in your start the day you were born and the day that you realized that he is the reason that you were born. Both of those were started. Maybe today is the start. We could say for all of us, this race, at least right now, today is our start. When is the end? We don't know, but somebody knows the end. It is marked out for us. The start and the end are marked out for us, and we're to run this race with endurance, this sustainable pace where hope does not vanquish. The very thing Jamel talked about last week, where that flame does not go out, but we're still going forward. How do we go at that pace? How do we go? In between those two things, what is it do you think the writer of Hebrews would tell us to do? I would think lace up your sneakers, stretch, and then like book. Take like 5,000 different Gatorade products and go. Right? Let's look at what he says. Can you pull up that verse? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. And then... Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If we want to make it to the end, if we want hope to last, and if we want to learn something from this Holy Week, I think it's right here in this middle part. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so closely entangles. That's what another translation says. Not just clings so closely, but entangles. I think of 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 this uh this weight being you you know when you've got like a backpack that weighs 10 billion pounds and you're you half the campus is like this they're walking around like this because they've got 5,000 computers and books and everything else in their in their back that's that's hard to walk around like that this entangled thing is 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 i remember fishing with my dad and and he was so careful to never get the lines tangled and i was so not and every time I was around, there was just a mess that you could not find your way out of. And there were hooks and strings. I don't even know what's going on. I would just sit and eat licorice. You would have to cut and break everything. But that's the imagery that we have here. There's like a, a net of entanglement around us, wrapped around us. If we want to run the race with endurance, and if we want to finish the race with the great cloud of witnesses watching us, if we want to do what we're created to do, then we've got to throw off this weight, and we've got to cut ourselves free here. We've got to let go of the things that entangle us. Don't start running when you're tangled. That doesn't make sense. Don't start running when your legs are like you'll just... That doesn't make any sense. Let's, let's let God and his spirit untangle us. Let's do that work. I know in this room we have so many people who want to be a, a voice to people whose voices aren't heard. We want to be ones who are fighting on the side of people who feel oppressed or overlooked. We have so many people who want to see the kingdom of God here on earth. I love that about you. 
I love that about us. That's part of why I feel at home here. Let me tell you, we will not do that if we're carrying extra weight. And we will not do that if our legs are tangled. So instead of just saying really good things, let's do the hard work of doing what Scripture invites us to do and then begin running and watch His kingdom come. That's what this imagery is. That's what we're shown here. Ray Johnston, the the author of Hope Quotient, talks about some hope killers in the chapter that we're in this week. I think this is some of the things, some of the weight, some of the ways that we get entangled. One of the things he says is bitterness and resentment. You ever been there? You ever have that wrapped around your feet? And you try to run, but you're bitter. You, You try to run, but you're resenting somebody else. Really, that's like trying to run like this. It doesn't work. Me running doesn't work anyway, but running like that doesn't work. Bitterness and resentment, it doesn't look good on you, child of the king. It doesn't look like you. It doesn't look like you. How do we deal with that? Well, Scripture shows us. The story of Palm Sunday shows us. These people love Jesus and need Jesus and are laying palm branches before him. And he comes over the hill and looks down and sees the city and he knows their hearts. And he knows what they're going to do. And so bitterness doesn't enter in and so resentment doesn't enter in and transform his character. He weeps. That's how he gets untangled. He weeps that away. Some of us need to grieve. There are relationships that you have lost or that are forever changed. Loose yourself of that weight. Not necessarily that person. God will speak to you and that person later. But, you know, we are not heroes and we are not really villains. Our enemy is the powers and principalities. People are people. And let's let people be that. But that means we need to loose ourselves of the bitterness and resentment that we hold on to. It doesn't belong on you. It doesn't belong on me. We're inconsistent when we live in that. Let me show you what what comes up later in that chapter from Hebrews. It says, therefore, lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight your path of your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. There's healing here. Strive for peace with everyone and the holiness of without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Bitterness rises up. And sometimes we like to pretend that it isn't. We need to dig that out at its root. Dig it out at its root. Now you might need to be distanced from somebody. You might need that. It may not be healthy for you to run right next to that person anymore. Then do not run right next to that person anymore. But bitterness and resentment, they don't go away by you just separating. They go away by you doing the work of allowing the Holy Spirit to bring the healing that he says that he brings. And so distance alone doesn't heal. Let God do his work so that you're free to run the race that he's marked out for you. That's what we need here. We see Jesus doing that very thing. We know that we can do this. He, not only is bitterness and resentment one of the things, but, but worry and anxiety. You ever been there? Yeah. 
You ever been tripped up by worry? I think it's hilarious how we can spend eight hours worrying about something that doesn't even happen. We can worry about conversations that are never even had. We can worry about the emotion of somebody else. Then they come to our house and they don't have that emotion. And we're like, where'd my day go? Why did I donate that day to worry? That's ridiculous. But we do this over and over. We are so anxious about things. And probably 10% of the things we're anxious about are, are actual. Now, some of us deal with, like, clinical anxiety. If that is you, professionals are so good at helping with this stuff. Part of untangling is talking to professionals. Let's not be too big to let people speak into our lives. Let's not be too proud to let people speak into us. But at other times, we need to just get untangled. We need to go sit and talk to you. I remember when I would talk to my dad, I would call him almost every day, and I'd be like, Dad, and blah, 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 blah. I'd talk for like 15 minutes about my problems. He'd be like, you'll be just fine, son. And he'd hang up on me. <laughs> and he was completely right. And I've got, I probably had another two hours in me, but he got tired of it. And sometimes we need somebody to play that role. I've been in a couple meetings with Jamel where, where me or somebody else comes and we say our anxiety, we say our worry, and he says, oh, that's cute. And like, no, it doesn't feel cute. You're right. That's not me. Let's not get tangled up. Let's not get weighed down. It doesn't look right on us. What do we do when a, when a situation is worrisome or where a situation is anxiety-producing? Those happen. What do we do? What, what did Jesus do? He was about to go to the cross. Probably the most anxious moment, the most worry-producing moment that we could face. Hey, the worst way humanity has ever came up with to torture somebody, why don't you go to it? That would produce some worry and anxiety in me. What does he do? He calls his best friends together. He goes to a place that is meaningful to him. And he says, hey, stay up with me, please. I need to go before my father. And we know that he's feeling the anxiety because he, he blood like comes out his sweat. But he doesn't leave anxious. He doesn't leave worried. He leaves saying, your will be done. That might be a night, that might be a weekend, that might be a season of life, that might be what Angel said, hey, I don't have hope, but let me borrow your hope for a little while. You carry me through this. That's why we go to God in prayer, and that's why we have one another. Look at this verse in First Peter. I think we have it. <laughs> Casting all your anxieties on him. Uh, that's what we're invited to do. Just cast all your anxieties on him. You don't need to hold on to them yourself. You weren't created to hold on to them before. The, the verse before says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may, be exalt, exalt, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He's powerful. He's not bound by time, but he understands time. He knows what he's doing. It's not that you feel the anxiety or, or the, the worry that is, that is leaving your character or tangling you up. Everybody feels that. It's that we take that as an identity and that we live within that. You are to be free of this worry and anxiety. That weight is to be off your shoulders. That net is to be off your feet. You're to run as he invited you to run.
Last thing, I think, squanders our hope and makes it so that we can't run, that we can't go on this path that God has for us and follow the lead of this holy week is guilt. Guilt is a beast that weighs us down, right? We barely can walk with the baggage of all that we haul around us. So much of our life is looking back with guilt and shame. And that is not from your father. That is not from your father. Jesus, our Messiah, went to the cross. And he gave his life on that cross. And he went to the grave. And then he was rose from that grave. And death was conquered. And part of what he did that for and part of what he declared is for those who have faith in him, you are called righteous. That that guilt and that weight from what you have done, knowing and unknowing all of that, that that weight no longer belongs on your shoulders. That he has lifted that from you and from me and you are truly to live free of that. That is the good news. This righteousness is not just a name. It's not like he just said, oh, sweetie. You know, it's not just like something he called you. It's a power. It's a power from the finish line. At the finish line, he says, hey, runner, you're righteous. And he pulls you to that. He pulls us into the righteousness that we already are. Some of us leaders were talking about this phrase yesterday. Become what you already are. That's the invitation of the gospel. Oh, child of God, oh, righteous one, become what you already are. If that is you, guilt does not belong on you. That, that's a weight that you're not to carry. That's dead weight that's already been taken care of. Lay that down at the foot of the cross and go forward with endurance and the hope that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. We see that Paul uses the same imagery that we see in the book of Hebrews. It says right here, not that I have already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's been times where I have not wanted to let go of guilt because I thought it was like arrogant. Honestly. I can't let go of that guilt because everybody lives with this. I don't want to act like I'm special. I don't want to act like I'm some holy person. No. God lifted that, so let go of it. God's people are to be without that. We should be able to talk, hey, I once was this, and I no longer am. I once did this, but I'm no longer defined by that. We should be able to walk that way. That is our story. That is the thing that, that heals is when we get to the space of saying, hey, I once lived with such worry at tax season that I didn't even sleep and I wasn't even cheating. But that's not me anymore. God has met me in this space. I once had so much anxiety that I couldn't keep food down, but that's not me anymore. 
my God heals. I once lived with so much guilt that I didn't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ could be for me. But that's not me anymore because God has declared I'm his child and I'm righteous. And what he says trumps what I feel. And so now I strain forward towards what he's invited me into. And so here's how we're going to close, okay? Today, you might need some help untangling. You might walk in and be like, I didn't even know I had a short stride. I've been living like this for like years. You might need help untangling. Worry, anxiety, guilt, all of these resentment, bitterness, they might be too much for you to move. And you may not even know steps to take forward. There will be somebody... Uh, over here, over here, and in the back who would love to pray with you, believe for you, pray against that bitterness, start to free your feet from th- those trappings. They would love to pray for you. That, that's half the reason they're here today. Don't miss that opportunity. You praying alone is the same power, but sometimes we just need to be together and we need to speak something aloud and be freed from it even in that moment. And so I want to invite you to have somebody pray with you. You may not know this Jesus that we're talking about. You may have walked in today and you're like, ah, Colt, Jesus, clothes, palm, bro- what, what are you guys doing? But maybe there's something in it where you're like, I would love to live without the guilt. I would love to live without bitterness. I can't imagine living free of anxiety. I can tell you this room is filled with people who are learning to become, who are learning to be who we already are. I, I, had, some, I, did, I had somebody just a couple weeks ago talk about this worship team. Th- this worship team is a gift. And somebody a couple weeks ago was like, they, they sing with such certainty, you know them. Are, are they like just people who have it all together? <laughs> Scooby, I'm not, I, I'm not lying. I laughed a little bit. And I was like, no, they're in my phone. I know them. I know them. I know Tracy. Well, that's not our story. But I know this team. And these folks believe that the trueness of God is bigger than present reality. Is bigger than their own choices is bigger than their own sin is bigger than their own circumstances and so the confidence they sing with is not in their ability and it's not in their perfection or morality the confidence that they're they're singing with is confidence that their god really is their god and if you watch it some weeks one side of the stage is believing for the other side of the stage at some weeks, the middle of the stage is, is believing for the back of the stage. And that's what community is. That's what this is. So let's live into this. This freedom is for us. So if you need prayer, please, the cat's in the back. Stephanie's over here. Jamel's over here. Please meet with them. You don't have to live bound anymore. But for all of us in the room, here's how we're going to end this series. So we have something tactile to do okay we we've watched this little hope jar grow throughout the eight weeks and now it's your turn to add your hope to the hope that's grown within this community and so after i pray i want you in response to to grab one of these cups and some of the sand 
and poor representing the hope that God has put within you in this. When we get into our new building, this will be somewhere for all of us to remember the hope that God has placed within us. Okay? Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are all that scripture says and more. God, I pray that you would help us to believe that. That this bitterness, this anxiety, this resentment, this worry, this guilt, that they no longer belong on your children. But freedom and healing are here. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Just like it is in heaven. In your name, amen.